This is Solutions for Climate Revolution, a podcast by Namine Sola. My name is Francesca and my guest today is Dave Borlace. Dave is the founder and host of the YouTube channel, Just Have a Think, where we can follow Dave on his journey of discovery to better understanding the solutions to human-induced warming. Just Have a Think has 102,000 followers and your 113 videos, I believe it is now, have been viewed almost 6 million times since you started in February 2018. Dave, welcome. Hi, nice to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. Your soundbite, entertaining and light-hearted attitude towards sharing information and raising awareness of the crises we currently face is clearly what a lot of people are hungry for right now. It is becoming more well-known that the solutions to our problems is education. And as Greta loves to say, doing your homework. So it's not just educating women and girls around the world, which we will come to later, that is one of our major solutions, but education for all of us who function in society so we can all work towards net zero. I'm a big fan of your Muppet Genius chart where you rank familiar faces in the news on a scale between Albert Einstein and Bert from the Muppets. Paradoxically, maybe, in the age of information we find ourselves in now, There is so much information, we actually find ourselves having to additionally figure out whether what we are being told is actually true. There is still a large number of people who still need to realise the importance of us all recycling, wasting less energy and eating less factory farmed animals. Why is it that you think we are not seeing more people act right now? Well, I think um, one of the fundamental it's a problem, but it's also an instinctive, evolutionarily hardwired uh, instinct in human beings is this tribalism um, and the desire to belong. Um, that's, it's based on evolutionary times when we had to belong to tribes because it was, there was safety in numbers. And, and so that still exists. And I think people are very reluctant to break away from that um, that that group ethic if you like um and start to strive towards new things or or suggest to others that we should take a different direction and i think that phenomenon is something that our our leaders know very well and propagandists know very well um and they they're very good at playing on that um i think americans call it fear uncertainty and doubt they call it fud um and so if you can keep people slightly ignorant, not, not give them all the facts and, and, and maintain a level of uncertainty in people's minds, then that uncertainty breeds fear. And if you can play on the fear, and we're all seeing this in, in today's world, fear tends to breed anger. Anger breeds hatred, and, and then hatred generally leads to conflict. Um, and so propagandists and leaders autocratic especially autocratic leaders who want people to just do what they say and not have a democratic um you know community feel about decision making in a society they play on that fud and they and they they make people feel afraid and angry and and look at them they're against us um so that's tribalism and um and i think the vast majority of people who are going to work, want to make a, want to 
make a living, make an, um, a salary and have an income at the end of each month to pay the mortgage or the rent and to feed their kids. That is their priority. There's a thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which you may or may not have heard of, but the, and it's about, you know, if ultimately reaching full fulfillment, self-fulfillment is right at the top of the triangle, but at the bottom of the triangle is basically, you know, feeding yourself, getting water and, you know, keeping your kids alive. And, and that's the rung that most of us on a day-to-day -day basis tend to exist on because we just want to get by and get through the day. And that's, that can occupy your entire working week or your entire week. It can be everything that's, that you've got headspace to deal with is the day-to-day. -day. Um, and that's completely understandable. And I don't think anyone would suggest that every single one of the 7.6 billion people on the planet should be, um, should be standing up and, and striving to be a leader or, or that's not how the world works. But, but uh, our leaders that are, that exist um, are very well aware that it's very easy to stop people having any aspiration in that way at all. Um, and I think that's, that's the inertia that, that holds most people back and people like, as you just said, people like Greta um, and, and, you know, and politicians, there are some good politicians in the world. They're not all bad. Um, you know, and great leaders in, in, in history have been people who haven't been prepared to accept that status quo and have mostly, almost always, very bravely and very dangerously often stood up against the status quo and said, no, I, I don't accept it. I think this is a better way. And very often in history, those people have built momentum and the population have said, yeah, I quite like what that person's saying. And eventually you can build momentum and, and, and change public perception but that takes a very brave and courageous person i believe and and not many of us are so that's that's in a nutshell i think that's what what i would say to that one yeah we have this this sort of curve of normal distribution where there are sort of us extreme sort of believers and um people who want to do the best we possibly can and, and share that information with people on one side and then on the other side of the bell curve there are people who it's the last thing that they would think about, whether it's because they don't believe in the science or whether it's because, as you very rightly say, they have no ability or capacity to think about these problems because they are just trying to survive. And for me, this was a huge realization because all I've ever really thought about for the last decade and over is, how am I gonna solve these solutions? And it's only sort of recently that I've realized that it's, it's a huge privilege to be able to think about all these these things that we can do to be good for the environment so there's this massive sort of section of people that the movement towards sustainability and net zero we have to that we have to engage with and it's through easy indigestible and fun and super entertaining videos like just have a think that is i think a huge part of the solution to getting people to have the ability to be able to take 10 15 minutes out of their day whether they're on a walk whether they're in the car listening to it through audio just to actually start to engage because the climate crisis is so massive and it's just yeah the solutions are there are so many and they're so far reaching and yet through the school program through solutions for climate revolution it's also the aim to be able to provide people with solutions that don't actually take any extra time. It's all about finding the little, the little synergies which actually save people time and money and promoting mm. those things. And I think yeah. it's, this is why Greta and the civil dis disobedience of XR is, is, is so important. How do you maintain such a positive attitude and lighthearted 
beautiful kind of attitude that you have when you do your videos when you're talking about such such difficult and and emotive things well i suppose being an old so-and-so helps a little bit i'm 51 now so i'm not that old but i've i've had enough i've had 33 years in in working life and that that shows you a lot of things and you get you gain a lot of experience and you start getting i suppose a bit more pragmatic um, but as I've certainly as I've been doing this particular work with the climate communication over the last three years or so, um, I think how it's crystallised in my mind is 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 looking at the human species, and and we're a real paradox I think in terms of the effect that we have on the planet. We're 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 so I think the thing that gives me hope is human ingenuity, but that that comes from a human species that is if you like. At the same time, we're kind of the smartest species that's ever existed on this planet. And we're also the dumbest species that's ever lived on this planet. And, and that, that's a real massive paradox. We are, we are, we're not the finished article. I don't believe that. I think evolution's got a long way to go, assuming we survive that long. Um, so, you know, some people think that the human being is, the, is, is, you know, God's perfect, the culmination of, you know, God's work. And I, I, don't, I don't share that point of view. I think we are part of an evolutionary process, but with a culmination of literally four, you know, four billion years or so of, 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 of the evolution of the planet and then the evolution of life on Earth several million years ago, we're, we are at the apex of that. There's no question about that. We're as good as evolution has managed to get so far. And the idea, in my mind at least, the idea that we could be stupid enough in a space of less than 200 years to squander everything evolution has strived for over hundreds of millions of years and we can just throw it all away in 200 years is so ludicrous to me that um, I don't think it's impossible. I think we could do it if we tried hard enough and if we don't change anything at all, we stand a reasonable chance of managing it by the end of this century. But I don't think we will. I think human ingenuity is is a force to be reckoned with. We can't beat nature, but if we start to show a bit more humility and start to understand that nature is a force that, that we can work alongside and respect and treat properly, it will, it will provide us with almost limitless, bountiful provision of, any, of everything we need, as long as we treat it correctly. Um, so, my, my, my sadness, I suppose, what gives me sadness against the hope is that whilst, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic for the future that the human species will survive, we will come up with um, nature driven and technological solutions to our climate crisis. The sadness is that we've gone so far, we've, we've already come so far in our, in our profligate, you know, dumb journey of 200 years of trying to throw everything away i.e. the Industrial Revolution and chucking carbon dioxide into the atmosphere without any consideration for, the, for its impact, even though people like Arrhenius in 18, whatever it was, 1898, were already saying we, ha we have scientific proof that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has a heating effect. So we've known about it technically for 130 years, and we've certainly known about it practically, if you like, for 50 years. The oil companies have, were reporting you know, in the early 70s about the, the very clear, their geologists had worked it out. It wasn't like they were looking at other scientists. Their people had written internal reports to their powers to be, that be, 
saying this is the effect and you know we just need to be mindful of it as an oil company because people are probably going to moan a bit like they did about cigarettes so just be mindful you might want to start your um, marketing machines now to get ready for that backlash it wasn't like oh my god this is a disaster stop drilling oil straight away um, it was just like yeah we're going to cause some heating and it's probably going to be a problem we're probably going to melt the ice caps and kill quite a few million people so you might want to just start thinking about the marketing side of that so that's the sadness i'm i'm, I'm div- divulging a bit but digressing a bit but the sadness is the millions of people that's the point i'm trying to make so whatever we do now if we stopped today there's enough co2 in the atmosphere to probably bump up the, the uh, average global atmospheric temperature by another one degree celsius or so even if we stopped today and so at two degrees or more of, of global warming which is what we probably have got baked into the atmosphere we are going to see very dramatic uh, even more dramatic um, mood swings if you like in the climate than we do today the climate's like your personality and the weather's like your mood so as personality change people with personality disorders where they have personality changes one of the one of the byproducts of that tends to be violent mood swings and it's a good analogy for climate and weather our climate's personality is changing and our weather's mood swings are getting more and more extreme as a result. And again, my sadness is that the people who will be suffering most from that are the people that did least to cause the problem. I know it's a cliche, we've all heard that, but it's a truism. So around the mid-latitudes where people have the least amount of money and the least protection against environmental change um, and the least ability to move away from it, uh bangladesh is a good example there's hundreds of million well there's a hundred and something 160 i think million people there now it's a big population explosion in the last couple of decades they can't go anywhere their 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 land is very low it's almost underwater now but you know surges flood surges um that come with rising sea levels will will or are already on it on an annual basis um impacting on them and wrecking their land they can't really go anywhere because there's nowhere to go there's other people in the other part in India and places around them that already live there. They're not going to let them in. So I can't get away from that fact. Whatever we do, um, people are going to die prematurely over the next 80 years. And, and that's, a, that's an inevitable sadness. So I have to accept that, but also remain hopeful on a, on a species level, if you like. That's what gives me hope. So as a species, my view is we'll survive because we are very clever and incredibly innovative i am just incredibly sad that we've allowed it to get this far before we've pulled our heads out of the sand and started to do something it's 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 one of the i think it's one of the hardest things and i think we spoke a bit about um before about it being the can of worms that just keeps on giving when you start to Mm, find out about climate change and the biodiversity crisis and this this yes this 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 idea that we have to you know for me it's become sort of a journey towards acceptance as well so i can be the most effective that i can be in able to to help people engage and be the people that they want to be because i don't believe it's in anybody's there's a few crazy psychopaths in the world absolutely but the majority of us aren't we don't yeah. want to be contributing towards suffering, pain, the loss of of our our natural world that you exactly say has has yeah. been developing and growing into the beautiful place it is that we've come from for millions of years, and to lose it all in 
a couple of centuries is it's so hard to to get to get to a place of being like okay I'm just going to be stoic about this because it's <laughs> it's it's really hard but your videos are just are just wonderful and you do it so well you put on this amazing light-hearted incredible sort of I'm going to share my knowledge with you and what I know and it, it just comes across so well and I'm I'm taking trying to take huge leaves out of your book it's, <laughs> it's something I well, struggle with every day one of the things I've learned about the um on that on that note one of the things that and I don't want to keep going on about FUD and propagandists because they exist but they are a real thing but one of the things they hope you will do is give up mm. and and um, so what and the suit there's, there's lots of things they hope they will get out of you and they're very good at drawing them out of you and hooking you in there's they, they want to hook you into a debate that's the first thing that takes up a lot of your time and energy um and if they can if they're occupying your time and energy debating then you're not doing what you should be doing which is to communicate about climate change and they want you to give up so they want they want to demoralize you they want so they throw reasonably nasty stuff at you i get nasty stuff thrown at me in the comment section every single week and again it helps i'm 51 and i don't care i'll give you a small silly story i was <laughs> between my 13 year old self and my 51 year old self when i was i was once in a shop with my mum at the age of 13 and you know at 13 you're just you're a teenager you're just starting to learn the importance of being cool and uh, and you're you know how the world perceives you and you want to look good and all the rest of it and it's, so it's bad enough that i'm standing in a shop with my mum at the age of 13 for a start <laughs> Um, and we're in a we're we're in a queue at the at the at the cash desk. It was Tesco or somewhere. And there's no one there's no one on the tills. Um, and so I'm there with my mum, and we're waiting patiently. And the queue's starting to build up behind us, and I'm starting to feel very self conscious as a you know a 13 year old boy. And, oh, this isn't cool, man. I'm Everyone's looking at me. <laughs> this is really bad. I hate you. And and there's no, and we can't. So everyone's looking around to see if there's anyone there. And my mum goes. Shop, and I am destroyed. I am mortified. I'm like, how could you do that to me? You ruined my life. All these people saw me next to you. You're my. How can you be so stupid? And that that stayed with me for a long time. <clears throat> but as I've got older and older, and look back on that experience with more and more humour, of course, as I've got older, what I came to realise was, as I approached the age my mum was then is that my mum didn't care what people mm. thought of her. She didn't, she just needed someone to come and help her on the till and she wanted to do it in a nice way. She wasn't nasty and she didn't care that it sounded a bit daft. She knew it'd work and it did. Someone came and served us. And that was, that really, that's just my mum who had learned these things. She learned that, you know, life's not all about image and all this and everything. It's just about, just about getting stuff done. And so being relentless is, is coming back to the point you've made about, about, um, you know, carrying on. You don't have to necessarily be, uh, you don't have to necessarily fight fire with fire. You don't necessarily have to fight violence with violence, but you do have to be relentless. You have to never give up, never let the so-and-sos grind you down. Churchill once, I'm not necessarily a Churchill advocate, but he did once say, um, you know, how are you going to, when someone said, how are you going to win the war when he was in the depths of despair and we looked like we were going to lose? And he, if you forgive the word, he said, just keep buggering on. Mm. And what he meant was, don't, you know, don't give up. Gandhi should have given up 
in the first week. It was insane what he was suggesting he was going to do. He was going to rise up the people of India against the British Raj. Are you kidding me? But he didn't give up. But he also didn't, you know, he didn't throw um, bombs and he didn't, you know, tell people to become um, suicide bombers or be violent. He just said, don't stop. Do not, do not stop. Do not give up in the face of adversity. And those are the characters in history that I, that I admire. And I, I'm, no, I'm nothing like them, but I, I, I admire what they do. And, and I, I can, you can use some of the strength that they give you through history to try and remind you. When you're a bit down, you think, oh, I can't be bothered today. I find it's very good to just say, well, what would, you know, what would Gandhi have done? Or what would, <laughs> whoever, whoever your chosen historical figure of, you know, um, the suffragettes, if you want, if you like, or the civil rights movement. Um, what would James Baldwin have done or Martin Luther King or, you know, and they wouldn't have said, I can't be bothered today. I think I'll stay in bed. That's one thing they wouldn't have said. So if you're relentless, eventually you're, you, you have to be listened to. And if you remember that you're not alone, and this is obviously an important life lesson that we all learn as well, you're not alone. In fact, if you talk about the normal distribution curve that you referred to earlier, in actual fact, that normal distribution curve, although we've said everybody's in the middle just trying to make a living, it's actually very, very heavily skewed towards the end of the spectrum where people are concerned about, uh, aware of and concerned about climate change. It's 58% of the population, certainly in America, and it's probably about the same in Europe, um, are, are concerned or even alarmed about, about climate change. So you're actually in the majority, not the minority, when it comes to talking about climate change with people. It's just that we're not very good at talking to each other about it. And if we, if we talk more to each other, we would find out that, that more of us uh, are, are of the same opinion. So you're not alone, um, but the world doesn't owe you a living either. That's the other thing. So you, it won't come, the world won't come to you and give you what you need. You have to go out and meet the world. Uh, that's a really important point um, I've learned. And and this relentless part of it, you won't get from A to Z in one, you know, it's, we're very impatient in the modern world. We want, because everything's at our fingertips. We want everything now. We want a cure for cancer now. We want a world to change now. And it's not how the world works. The world's a big place. There's a lot of people. And there's a great deal of inertia, which is obviously the thing that acts against momentum. Um, and it's personal inertia societal inertia political inertia um and that means you've got it you have to push against inertia to start things moving against it you know a great big boulder there's a huge amount of inertia stopping it moving but once you get it moving that inertia is gone and you get the momentum and then you start having a virtuous circle someone like i don't know who it was it might have been confucius but forgive me if it wasn't said the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step um, we all know that one. So that, you know, these are all, I know they're all cliches, but they're quite useful cliches, you know, and the cliches for a reason, cliches are, are often used phrases. Well, that's the reason why they're often used. I think there's just so many incredible things that you've just said. And I got goosebumps when you were just talking and it's, it's, it's so encouraging to hear that there are, yeah, you, like you say, the normal distribution curve is skewed and there are more people that are engaging with the crises that we face. And it is, you're right, it's talking to people and talking within it within that and then expanding the awareness and, and the knowledge. And it's, it's through conversations like these, your channel, the school programme, that 
it's gonna we're gonna get these steps to help people be able to 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 move forward and and, and gather that gather that momentum because it's this in this injustice of of climate change and the the cliche again like you say the people with the lowest footprint have the, suffer the worst effects and mm. it's it's this the relentless the relentless fight that we have against big corporations and media is yeah it can be it feels like we're it feels like it's almost too big to take on sometimes but yeah. what i try and try and take yeah knowledge and just just being like all i can do is take care of what i'm doing and then hopefully inspire others along the way and i think that's where i've gone wrong as i was growing up in the past i was like everybody has to change i have to try and change everybody <laughs> like but it doesn't people don't work that way and it's the no. lessons that i've learned as i've gone through my journey that it's yeah it's about not caring being relentless and and doing what you know to be right and true and in in what you yeah in what you believe yeah and that, that one cap just like one thing you just said there uh, reminded me of a caveat that's worth mentioning which is that this, we all have that sense that well, why doesn't everyone just think the way i do i i think this we and that's that's a very it's a completely natural way of thinking um and um george Orwell wrote animal farm uh, it's a book worth reading i studied it when i was at school um and it's a lesson about how you know a revolutionist of, of, of I mean, he used an analogy of farmyard animals subjugated by a, a cruel farmer, and they stage a revolution. It's obviously an analogy for the I think for the Russian Revolution probably, because um, that was it was a twenty or thirty years after that that had happened, and, and they rose up um, and um, they you know they they seized power of the farm if you like, and then once they'd seized power. Uh, they didn't act in a democratic way. So the pigs, uh, you know, assumed ascendancy and they, they, they started making rules that everyone had to abide by, whether they liked it or not. And it wasn't, none of the other animals got to vote. And it, and it reached a point where they, the pigs declared that all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others, which is obviously a spurious, a very Orwellian, you know, mm -hmm. kind of um, um, non-speak, which she was very good at doing. The point being, um, it is right and proper to question authority, and sometimes it's right and proper to overthrow an existing uh, mechanism for uh, the fabric of your society, and that's happened in, 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 in history. The danger is that that success and the person who leads that, or the few people that lead that success, find that, that in order to get that success, they had to be very dogmatic against the existing paradigm. And once you get to the point of success, you need to lose that dogma. You need to be open. You need to be, have the strength of character that's, that's open enough to receive constructive criticism. Um, and, you know, that's, again, it's the human being. We've reached the apex of the, of, the, of the food chain, essentially. We are unassailable. No other species on this planet can ever get anywhere close to us. The only species that can harm us is the human beings. And so we'd, we are dogmatic. We, 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 that's a that's a human trait and the best societies and the best leaders are the ones that were prepared to shut up and listen and accept sometimes very painful um constructive criticism and sometimes constructive criticism that made them realize they had to change what they thought was a great idea 
Um, and it's hard to do. It's very hard to do that. It takes a great deal of humility. And humility isn't a, 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 a personality trait that, that world leaders are well known for having, unfortunately. There are a few that spring to mind that are on the bottom left of your um, Muppet Genius chart, which I yeah. which very much enjoyed. I probably don't need to mention <laughs> any names in particular, but we don't need to go there. But I think, yeah, it's, there is that that element of having the, the plasticity of of leaders and their ability to to accept that they might be wrong or that they need to pivot and they need to change. And it's 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 a challenge having yeah, watching the misinformation on the news is is very, very difficult. And it just it only grows the bubble of of lack of awareness that I feel a lot of us can feel very swamped by sometimes. And I think there's yeah there's yeah it's it's such a it's discouraging but at the same time it's it's a great challenge because it's massive and when we overcome it it's going to be incredible because all the the solutions that we have to climate change and reversing inequality not only are they the same but they're the solutions that we'd want to do anyway even if we didn't have a climate crisis and it's, it's yeah. about making the world more beautiful and i'd love to just chat a bit about now about educating women and girls and and population there can be the initial reaction to this when people start talking about it can be quite harsh sometimes because people as soon as we start mentioning we need to reduce the world's population people think oh my gosh that means that you want to kill loads and loads of people and that you want to you're yeah and that is absolutely 100% not the case it's about ensuring that every woman every woman and girl in the world has their right to education so they can make the decisions that they want in in life to ensure that they are moved out of repressive and traditional roles where they are most of the time forced to have a lot of children against their will and i think it's when we move women and girls into into education they then have the ability to, to make the choices that they want with their mind, their future and their body. And through that, the natural, the natural result is that there will be less people on the world. And by getting more people into education, it means there is a greater contribution to, to the world in terms of what we find out and, and the intellectual capacity that we have. I don't know, have you ever heard of the term human colossus? My friend told me about it no it's a good term it's cool isn't it my friend told told me about it he'd read a book i can't remember what it's called for the life of me frustrated but um yeah it's this idea that all of our minds and all of our energy it's um it's all interlinked and we're kind of we're all part of this this higher consciousness i guess and it's the Hmm. psychism i think i'm sort of teetering on the edges of right but it's the idea that i think Imagine if every single person in the world was in school and was learning and was contributing towards progressing humanity rather than having to, to study for a prime example with a kerosene lamp in poor working conditions, mm. knowingly, well, unknowingly, sorry, unknowingly detrimentally affecting their health more so by studying with a kerosene lamp than they yeah. are helping themselves doing their homework. And it's about disrupting these cycles that is, that I think is just the most important. What What are your thoughts on on population? What What how do you? Yeah. 
I think I, th I think you, you've you've addressed the points very well there. there I, th I suppose you can break them into two things. What what is happening with our population, which is and again that's kind of what you said at the start is. So I'll I'll touch on that, which is the the understanding or or otherwise of of what is happening, and then what is happening what is happening to counter it and what can be done to to improve the situation. So I think, and this is where, as you say, the the people hear a message and then they they hear what they want to hear in a message which is if someone says well there's too many people in the world some people and and i understand this some people can immediately jump to saying and I, i've said it myself it, you know what do you mean we've got to start eradicating people we're going to get into eugenics and deciding you know who's does what and, and i i remember getting quite angry um list i mean there are some people in the world who actually do believe that we could um we could probably do with you know, quietly knocking off a few hundred million here and there. Those are called psychopaths, and they, they, they're kind of such a, at such an extreme end of the, the scale that I think we can probably, well, I hope we can probably discount them, although some of them lead countries. But there we are. A lot of them lead businesses as well. That's, an, that's a whole other, another, another uh, sphere Podcast. of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, now, I've, now I've got myself diverted into that track. What am I saying? So... Um, the the what's what is happening yeah the reaction to people saying we need fewer people um i can remember saying well what if we had you know what what if we had a lottery um this is against eugenics what if we had a lottery and put everyone's name in all 7.6 billion people in the world put all their names in the hat and we decided collectively that we would draw out four billion of those names lucky four billion they get to survive and 3.6 billion stay in the hat unfortunately sorry you're going to be carted away and quietly exterminated in a gas chamber somewhere and what if you know everyone's sitting around in the world desperately hoping that their name gets pulled out of a hat and you're sitting there with your wife and four children and your name gets pulled out of a hat you think fantastic brilliant and the lottery ends and the names of your wife and three four children are still in the hat because we all agreed that it's a random you know who gets to choose is the point who gets to choose when psychopaths say well there's too many people in the world we should you know get rid of a few they don't mean getting rid of a few of their own family or friends they mean all those people who live a long way away that i can't yeah. see and you know so that's a spurious argument and it's not what people like chris packham and david attenborough are remotely suggesting for a millisecond absolutely, absolutely unequivocally not what those people are suggesting they are they are saying and this is to the what is happening they are saying that today we have a lot of people on the planet more than we've ever had in the history of the planet and the way that those people consume everything, energy, food, you name it, um, is unsustainable. And if we look at you know, map of the, a place called um, Our World in Data is a very good website that I could recommend uh, your listeners to, to go and have a look at. They do great charts. They analyze statistics and they put them in really, really useful visual ways. And one of the charts they look at, and I've used on the channel a couple of times, is how much land, how much habitable available land we would need to grow the crops if we all had the diet of wherever, India or China or America or Argentina or, or Europe. And that chart shows us that if the whole world adopted the diet of India, uh, and again, I'm not suggesting we all do this. This is, again, the people are very reactionary. Oh, what do you want me to uh, just eat beans and rice? Mm -hmm. not suggesting we go there. But if we did... We would only need 23% of the of the entire available habitable land on the planet, and let's not forget that 71% uh, uh, of our planet is 
is water. So um, there's not a lot of land. But we'd only need 23% of it if we all had India's diet. If we adopted the diet of Europe or America, we'd need 123% of all the available habitable land just to grow food to feed the people. We wouldn't have anywhere to hold the people because all the land would be used for growing food. So it's the consumption that's the problem. And, and that's the clarity, I think, the clarity of argument that I think needs to come through. It's not necessarily the number of people. It is the way those people are consuming the resources of the planet that's unsustainable. Um, and then what's going to happen, and there's a guy called Hans Rosling. Uh, I'm sorry to keep throwing names at you, but no, I think great. probably a lot, a lot of people would have heard of Hans. He's, he's Sadly, he's not with us anymore, but he was a statistician and he was a man who, who understood how boring and tedious statistics are um, because he'd spent a career looking at them. He also understood how important it was to find a way to communicate those statistics to you and me. And so he would do live shows. They were brilliant. You, if you go on YouTube and I think he's got one called don't panic. And it's about eight or nine years old. And it's a superb presentation of, of why our population uh, if, if all, if everything remains more or less equal, will go to about 11 billion by 2100. And essentially what he's saying is by dint of the number of people that are on the planet today, if you just have replacement rate, which is two parents have two kids, then if you work out the math, and I've done it in one of my videos, you, you, you just get to, and, and also add on a little bit for the fact that people live longer, you get to 11 billion by 2100 without increasing a fertility rate or increasing the number of people that have kids. It's just that the, just by basic replacement from here to 2100, we will get, we'll get to about nine and a half billion by 2050 and 11 billion by 2100. But the fertility rate by contrast is actually dropping very quickly. So the number of people will go up because you, that's just momentum, but the fertility rate is going down quite quickly in 1950. The average, Fertility. So the average woman in the in the world in 1950 had five and a half children, um, and that was obviously a lot more skewed in the in the poorer countries. But even in the rich countries like uh, the European countries in America and Canada, it was still 3.7 or so children per woman, um, and it was like seven and a half, eight in in places like Africa and the Middle East. That is now about 2.3, 2.4 av global average. Um, so in, in, you know, in those 70 years, just a bit more than my lifetime, you know, we've, we've more than halved the fertility rate. So that, that's a, a reason to be quite encouraged. Um, and actually after 2100, the, the global population will, will be, if anything, slightly declining. Um, and there's a book called, in fact, it's here, Empty Planet, um, which, and, I don't necessarily subscribe to everything these guys talk about, but it's by Daryl Bricker and John Ibbotson. But if you'll, if you'll allow me the indulgence of just reading, Absolutely. I just, I wrote down one of the paragraphs towards the end of their book about uh, to answer the question about what will happen. Um, and it's about, it'd take about a minute to read it if you don't mind, but Absolutely. They, they said, what will the world be like for a child born today when she reaches middle age in a time of population decline? What will that world be like for her child? We, who are the, the authors of the book, we believe there will be much about that world to admire. It will be cleaner, safer and quiet. The oceans will start to heal and the atmosphere cool or at least stop heating. People may not be growing wealthier, but that might not, be that might not matter so much. Power centres will shift and centres of innovation and creativity too. We're not saying that declining fertility is an all-powerful, unstoppable predestination 
that will mold humanity's future, the old imperatives will always be at work, like the will to power and the will to wealth and concern or lack of it for the health of the planet, the desire to create the new, to innovate, to explore, and the desire to preserve the past and to slow things down and to hold on to what we've got. And always there will be moments when one leader's decision shapes the face, the fate of millions for good or ill. Along that journey, and this is an important point to me, we must cherish our old, encourage our young and promote equality for all. We must welcome newcomers and share our spaces with them while preserving freedom and tolerance, which make a society worth living in. Population decline doesn't need to be a time of social decline, but we do need to understand what's happening to us and what is about to happen. All the years we've been together on this earth, we've never faced such a thing. So I, I, I enjoyed reading those words. I thought they were quite well put and, and quite profound. I think there's a general unawareness, lack of awareness of, of, of how the, the, um, the population of our planet is, is going. It's, it's, it, it is declining, even though that's counterintuitive because it's, we see it going up every day. So it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a strange one. So I'm optimistic about that as well, but I'm, I'm very, very concerned about the consumption. So it's, uh, uh, so in a nutshell, just to conclude, it's not population, it's consumption. That would be my pithy comment. <laughs> that is beautifully sum up, summed up. I think, um, yeah, there's, I agree to, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think there's, um, there are things that every single person who has the ability to, to buy and consume a lot can do to, to reduce consumption and, and prevent and stop and reverse the injustice that is happening at the moment where people Indeed. who have nothing or have very, very little are the ones suffering the most. And I think with the, one of my biggest drivers at the moment is, and I, well, I realized this was to help people avoid the regret that they will have later if they don't do more now. I mean, to have this, it sounds weird, but it's just for people to, to cotton on to this kind of, the injustice of of the actual argument around population to realize the the benefits of of really understanding it when it's too late is yeah is is a huge driver for me to try and to try and solve because especially when it has the yeah the the quality of life and 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 the meaning of life for so many people around the world who are just being treated like numbers and it's yeah, it goes back to thank you it's yeah it's it's very touches a real raw nerve for me i think um it goes back to what we what we were chatting before about critical thinking and the importance of promoting questioning what are yeah. your thoughts on that Dave? yeah i mean the 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 cost of doing nothing is is uh is far 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 great even even hard-nosed economists are saying even the you know people like blackrock who is the worst horrible example of of you know capitalist um uh, uh, greed if you like that we've probably got on the planet even they're saying the cost of doing nothing now is far more expensive than the cost of doing something you know don't the idea that we can save money by not building and changing the way we the infrastructure of our society is 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 very very short-sighted because we'll pay my god we'll pay for it down the line when when you know uh, shore uh, coastline properties you know and this is where they 
people like BlackRock, if you can use them in the right way, can get to the people who can make the biggest changes, which is unfortunately the people with the most money. But so there's people like with coast, coastal properties on the east coast of the United States of America, for example. You know, you say to them, well, you know, in 20 years time, A, you won't be able to get insurance for your property because sea level rises will be threatening uh, the land around your property. And that means B, effectively, your 20 million pound condo, 20 million dollar condo, will be worth diddly squat in 20 years time. So how do you think about that? You start hitting people with that, those rich people, hitting them where it hurts, which is in their wallets, then they start, they might start having long-term thinking. But critical thinking is hard. It's what I think the psychologists call it system two thinking, which is, you know, we're hardwired to deal with, with, you know, a saber-toothed tiger or a, or a grizzly bear running at us. We're, that's what human beings are hardwired to deal with. That's fast, instinctive thinking. And, and it's what leads us to just deal with the day to day. And we're really bad. We're really bad at projecting forward and trying to imagine what could be in the future or what might be if we work in a certain way. And we've also got two halves of our brain. We've got an emotional side and an intellectual side. And the emotional side is, is kind of the, the emotions arrive. That's what that's, that's evolution. Evolution found this brilliant mechanism, which we call emotions to make us do stuff without thinking. Um, and it, and to, it, it just, it, evolution has created it in such a way that that extra speed bypasses certain synaptic links in your brain, which are the intellectual ones about questioning why or whether I should do what I'm about to do. Emotions bypass that because if a saber tooth tiger does come out of left field and it, it wasn't in your eyesight and suddenly you just notice it and you have no time to think, you just have to react. If you didn't have that emotional, evolutionarily instinctive reaction, you'd, you'd get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. So it's a really important, emotions are a really important thing that nature have given us to allow us to react quickly. Um, but as we evolve as a species and become more important as a dominant species, our challenge is to learn how to use the intellect, what they call the system two, the slow thinking, intellectual side of your brain, I would call it. To, because we've got time now we're not being assailed by saber-toothed tigers anymore so those emotions although they're important and we need them they're part of what makes us human um they are not required in the way that they were when we first had them imbued in us by evolution so our intellectual brain needs to come more and more to the fore so that we can start making more rational slowed down more considered judgments and that side of our brain is the side of the brain that allows us to project forward and imagine with rational thought what the consequences of our actions today will be in the future um, and that's the teaching that we need more people to to have access to um, and, and just to address i would just to address your point about the um i just want to go back slightly to the population because you made a very very important point which i admitted completely about uh, women's education um, and it's important not for me to not miss that because that's so fundamental and so crucial to the uh, the fertility rates continuing to drop it is the key um, uh, it is absolutely everything as far as I'm concerned mm. is women's education in um, in developing nations and if you look at the United Nations um, a lot of the work they're doing is about women's equality and women's education and everywhere without exception, and Hans Rosling would have told you this, 
everywhere in the world without exception where women's education has been improved the fertility rate is reduced so i just wanted to make sure i i didn't forget to, to agree with you on that point because it's such a powerful point you made earlier so forgive me that i forgot at the time um so yes um critical thinking system two thinking intellectual against emotion however you want to call it the the it's a lesson in life and it's a lesson for the human species in life when you learn to make your intellectual brain be in charge of what you do not your emotional brain you know you start to make some powerful decisions in life everything you've just said is just you've just rounded it up so wonderfully you have an amazing way with words i think it's um <laughs> yeah you really do you blow me away with how you curate and consolidate information it's just amazing like 100 percent why your your youtube channel is so popular and i hope more people oh, thank you it's just brilliant the way you use words i think this idea um few points if i may there's the guy yeah. the ceo of blackrock i was actually really excited to hear that he apparently he releases a letter every january february time of what he thinks are going to be the trends for for sort of the, the year of finance mm -hmm. coming along his name is larry fink i believe and um, in his letter right. this year i believe he wrote something like business can no longer just focus on profit you have to have a purpose and i hope and i'm exactly yeah it's just it's so encouraging that as you say like a big behemoth like blackrock and all of the things that they do is actually now starting to think this way because and i very much hope by purpose larry think what he means is the triple bottom line so people planet and and eat the economic benefits that business has and needs to have because business yeah. is there to to make money but it's the the negating of the social and environmental impacts that have got us to where we are and why we're in such a sticky situation with with injustice and inequality and and pollution because we are we all breathe the same air and i think that is that's why i think a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of big big companies are starting to step up because i think they've, they've had this forward thinking critical understanding that actually what they're doing is unsustainable and yeah they can see the writing on the wall i yeah i really hope it is and i believe it is because it's just like i love what you say in the description of, of your channel it's just like if you want to debate the science of climate change, this is not the place to do it because no. it's, it's almost, yeah, we just won't go there. But I think there's the time, um, <laughs> there's the, the idea that actually the solutions to what we're doing and the cost, the cost of doing nothing is so much more than the cost of just doing a little bit. And it's this idea yeah. that actually you can save time and you can save money by by doing the things that we all need to work towards. I think my favorite example is well, I've started, I've rearranged sort of slightly things in my living room so I can turn off all my lights by the plug sockets and I turn off the TV and the laptop by pulling out a, it's an old plug so it annoyingly doesn't have the switches on the plug so I have to pull out the, right. the plug socket but it's attached to um, what's it called an extension cable. And before yeah. like, I'd be having to like use that remote, use this remote, turn this off at the, the back to turn off all these buttons to make sure nothing was in standby. But now I just yoink out a plug and it's done. Yeah. And yeah. that not only saves me time, but it saves me money. And I think it's, it's little things like that, little just shifts and switches in, in behavior and patterns and the way that we experience and perceive things that is, it's the key to us just not wasting so much and not adding to the, the mountains and the piles. And yeah. This, this simple human ingenuity exactly and i totally it's so hard because yes on one side we are the cleverest most incredible species on the planet but on the other we have this 
hugely this sort of the peak to our intelligence just goes all the way down and we have this <laughs> it does and we have this, this this unassailable desire to make things complicated you know especially uh, well this is going to be a bit sexist but men historically seem to have been more keen to make things complicated they love their widgets and you have to they love wiring the telly through the stereo to make it sound better and all this sort of you know it doesn't you don't need to do that it doesn't have to be that complicated and simple acts of human logical lateral thinking like the one you've just identified or putting a brick in your system so it doesn't fill up with so much water mm. or i love the example of the, the handsaw when men and women first started doing carpentry um on a handsaw the handle is exactly 90 degrees to the blade and the bottom of the handle is exactly 45 degrees to the blade someone worked that out when they were doing they were thinking if only i could because i have to cut a lot of things at 90 degrees straight and I also have to cut a lot of mitres around doors to make architrave for doors. And I had something in my hand that could tell me exactly what 45 degrees. Oh, I know. What if I made the shape of the handle 45 degrees? And so all hand saws today, if you buy a hand saw, you'll have a 90 degree and a 45 degree. So you don't have to go anywhere else to measure those angles because those are the two angles you're going to need most. It's such a simple thing. But it demonstrates how simple human ingenuity can be sometimes much more effective than making things wonderfully complicated just because we can just because we can doesn't necessarily mean we should beautifully said yeah i couldn't agree with you more and i think there's been the integration i think of certain elements of business that i think have been kind of almost created to to make things more easy but in real life it's i guess more well, practically i should say it's probably made things a lot slower because of the bureaucracy and and absolutely the people and people have lives and the human error. So it's really, yeah, we really have to just peel back all the layers, I guess, of just of BS that I guess have grown around society yeah. and what we think we need. And yeah, yeah and just, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. We don't need it all. We need some of it, but we don't need it all. I think this is where the pandemic has been so useful. And I really hope it's, it's something that can transcend beyond beyond this virus it's the ability that actually what I really need is support from my loved ones I need shelter and I need food and I need to yeah. see people and have fun the fast yeah. fashion the excess food that it's just we don't need that it makes us less happy in the long term it might fill our mm. short-term needs but in the long run it, it, it showed like the studies of of excess consumption it, it's hollow it doesn't it doesn't you can't sort yourself inside with buying something external it has to come from within and yeah the beauty absolutely of the true is thank you it's just that it yeah it, it brings it's brought us all i hope in some weird way closer to to what it really means to be human which is the social loving just fair people that i know is in within the majority of people in the world yeah. again minus the 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 psychopaths but i wanted if we may just talk about we've talked about sort of well, we've talked about population we've talked about critical thinking and i'd love to chat a bit about now about um the the statement you might think your actions are a drop in the ocean but the oceans are made from drops and this this weighing right. scale it's yeah. like um we might think that our that our, our small actions that what we do in our lives like unplugging uh, an extension cable that my tv's plugged into and the tiny amounts of energy that it saves every day and even though it builds up to a little bit more over a year mm. that, that small amount of energy that i save and that money that i save what's the point 
when the rising i want to use the word behemoth again of, of china's economy is is growing and, and growing yeah. very fast with the gdp that is is going to out outdo america and all the other large gdps in the world what are your thoughts yeah on? Yeah, I mean that's that's a, and it's it's rightly a touch on that because it's again it's a, it's a reality that we can't ignore, um, and China will be the largest economy in the world certainly in our lifetime and possibly in the next decade, um, and that's that's a that's a very worrying trait for the current incumbent who are obviously the United States of America, and it's something that the the United Kingdom went through when we lost you know we lost the empire, <laughs> and um, you know. Um, uh, and I, I wasn't around at the time, but uh, certainly my grandparents were, and my, and my dad to a certain extent, uh, who was born just at the, in the middle of the war, the Second World War. Um, and it's painful for the incumbents to experience that. So um, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of railing against China, as, as we all see in the news today. And China does a lot of bad things. China also does a lot of good things. Mm. Um, so we, again, we need to keep this in balance. It, it is utterly in, unacceptable that, that, that China abuse human rights in the way that they do. Utterly. Um, mm. But my view, so in terms of, um, you might, as you said before, you might think your actions are a drop in the ocean, but oceans are made up of drops. And again, cliche, but mm. it's a truism. Mm. And, um, and, and, you know, you said the analogy about a, a weighing scale. So, you know, putting one thing on the one side and, and balancing it up with, with what happens on the other. My view is that if we, if we shut ourselves down from, uh, from interaction with regimes like China, we have absolutely zero chance of changing them. Um, and, uh, but if we engage with them, and object in the strongest terms to the things they do that we believe to be wrong, then we have at least a chance of changing them. And if we use the fact that they still burn a lot of coal to give up on the idea that we can improve our emissions, then uh, that is defeatism of the greatest order. China burn a lot of coal. There's no question about that. China are trying to fuel um, the population, the, the, an explosion has happened in China. It's not still happening. Again, their fertility rates reducing as well. And um, Deng Xiaoping caused that, of course, in 1980 when he did the one child per family policy. And, and that, you know, no one's suggesting we enter into those sort of shenanigans again either, because we can see what the, the horrend horrendous knock-on effects of that have been. So I'm not suggesting that's good. I'm simply saying that did, did what it was meant to do, which it curbed the um, rampant growth. They were 6.7 um, children per woman when that policy started and they're obviously they're down way below well just below replacement now so um so but china as a result of that china has 1.4 billion people well xi jinping can't ignore that mm. he has to you know he has to keep those people warm and sheltered um and he's he is growing renewable energy almost as fast as it's humanly possible to do i mean they put more solar and wind into their country in the last two or three years than the rest of the world put together by some margin. I mean, absolutely, you know, enormous growth. And, and, and again, you can argue the toss about, well, that's all because I've got all this free and cheap labor and people are coerced into working in fact. Well, okay. Again, I'm not suggesting China is any kind of paragon of virtue. They are, they have got masses of things that we regard in the West as utterly objectionable. 
But we, if we just ignore them and cut off ties and have trade wars and sanctions and say they're a pariah and a great modern Satan, then they're only going to do one thing, which is to retrench into their own um, silo, which is what's happening right now. And the situation is going to get worse and worse. So we have to confront these things and we have to accept that these, these uh, imperfections, if you like, to put it mildly, exist in the world. And it is only by engaging with them that we have any chance of changing them. Sitting down, and I say this about climate change, um, a lot of people have said, well, what, what are you oh, so cheerful? What's the point? We're all going to, whatever we do now, it's all built into the climate. And we're all going to, you know, I get it. But my point is, so what do you want me to do? You want me to say, all right, well, I'm going to sit down now and wait for the Grim Reaper to come and chop my head off. Because apparently you tell me that it's all completely pointless. Well, blow that for a game of soldiers. I ain't doing that. You know, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to constantly seek solutions in a cheerful and relentless manner until the day they put the last nail in the box that puts me in the ground. That's my view. And I think we need to, we need to have that belligerence about not accepting things because ignoring them and saying it's bad isn't accept isn't isn't tackling the problem it's just not except understanding that it's real and then going after it that's how you tackle problems absolutely you got me all oh, riled um, up i want to let, <laughs> let me let me just let me just yeah. tackle the point sorry i'm i know i go on i do apologize no, it's, Jessie. It's, um, no, but please, the, the, no, on the point and the point about not feeling alone and this is something i think that um Again, it's something that perhaps when I was younger, was, I felt more, it's very difficult when you're young, especially nowadays, mm. not to feel like you're very, very alone. You look on the social media, everyone's apparently got a perfect life. And that's because if you, if you, if you frame your life in you know, a, a 10 centimetre by 5 centimetre little frame on a phone, anyone can make it look perfect. You just have to pick the right angle and the right lighting. Absolutely. Um, but if you went and met those people, you know, and we've all, you know, and you can watch these programs and, and my housemate loves them on, on MTV and all the rest of it, where they, they do go and find these people and find out that they're, you know, they're nothing like their, their social media persona. So it's very easy to look at those people on social media and believe they are having a perfect life, especially when you're young and you haven't had any life experience and you haven't got any other sphere of reference other than what you're looking at on a, on a screen in front of you. You must think that's real. Mm. And you're not, you haven't, you haven't got that. You think, oh God, I, I'm, on my own sitting here in my bedroom and I, I haven't got anything like those people's lives and you can get depressed and that's where the mental health issues have crept into our younger generations and it's a and it's a real tragedy but um you are not alone is, is my message you are not those people don't have the perfect lives that you, you might think we're all numpties as, as i used to say <laughs> we're all everybody is just trying to trundle through life as best they can and the power in collective action is is almost unassailable. So never, ever, ever believe that you are alone. And never believe that your experience is the first time any human being has gone through the experience you're going through. Because it won't be. Someone will have gone through what you're going through before. And they'll be there to talk to. Mm. There are organisations in the world. If you really, I mean, I'm talking about the extreme end of feeling alone. When you're really feeling so desperate, you might think about not carrying on. Don't do it. Mm. There are because there are millions of people who've gone before you who have experienced the same emotions. And a lot of them have decided to make themselves available to talk to people like you, to help you understand what you're going through because they've been there already. So that's one thing. You're not alone. 58% of the world, at least the Western world, 
believe in, are aware of, and are concerned or alarmed about climate change. We are in the majority, and that number is moving upwards relentlessly all the time. Um, in fact, it's uh, the number that are aware of climate change is more like 70%. Obviously, the scientific consensus is 97%. So there's still a consensus gap, but it's moving in the right direction. So we are in the majority, um, and that's only going to go in one direction because time and tide wait for no man, as we're all, as people are, are trying to convince us that it's not happening, which is why I don't debate with them. It doesn't matter what they say. The world's heating up and the climate's changing. Whatever they say about it, it just is. You only got to look at the numbers. So, um, but again, back to the point, you're not alone, but, but, you, but the world won't necessarily come and find you. You have to, you have to stand up and do something. You have to stand up and, and take responsibility for your own actions. Um, and then you'll find there's an awful lot of people around you who can help you. Just, just beautifully, yeah, beautifully said. It's, again, your words are knocking me away. And I think there's one of the things I was chatting to some young people about is was social media because it was a lot different when when I was sort of young and at school. It's um, I feel like I kind of I had I was lucky to not have phones and and internet and things until I was sort of. 11 12 and then it sort of started mm. to sort of to come in and i have i have social media anxiety i have oh, i have travel anxiety i've got all these sort of silly anxieties <laughs> the modern world has, has brought us yeah it's full of them. But yeah it's one of the th it's, it was such a bizarre way to think about it but it really resonated with me in when you see posts on facebook of or instagram or whatever social media of a highlight reel that you're like oh i don't have this that's this is crazy it's what well, my life uh, it's that post that by that person has they've had to do to make them feel better so it's there it's them putting out something that is making them feel better about their life it's not there to make you feel bad it's there to to make to make them feel good and i mm. think it's it's having that understanding and changing that perspective again that that we're all in this together we're all just i think i love what i kind of love and hate when stephen hawking said this we're, we're all just chemical scum on the on the face of the earth i disagree with him in so many ways because <laughs> yeah. we are not chemical scum we are beautiful incredible intelligent complex yes. social loving creatures that have so much capacity to do so many incredible things and as soon as we yeah we unite behind the same collaborative actions to save energy to save resources and and live in line with our values there is literally no stopping literally no stopping us to achieve the greatest potential that, that we can it doesn't matter what mm. the one percent or what big corporations what biz businesses do we are the ones that have the power and the pandemic yeah. has shown this people people are the driving force behind the economy where we put our money and our actions is what decides what happens in in the economy and that is just for me it's so empowering and it's just i can't wait for everybody to have that penny drop because it's just i just yeah <laughs> i can't say empowering yeah. again but no. I, I can i completely agree it's the it's the awareness it's the it's the you know the scales dropping before from before mm -hmm. people's eyes it's the it's the taking away the ignorance and i don't mean ignorance in a a nasty pejorative yeah. way i mean ignorance in in the absolute sense of the word which is that people are simply not aware yes. of what is happening because their that awareness is taken away from them um, as much as possible by the by the propaganda machines that uh, that that attempt to control society which is the way it's, it's all that's not a new phenomenon you know the, no. the, the, they would do it they would they've been doing that since civilization existed 
And again, controlling societies was a good idea when we all had sticks and stones and spears. Because, you know, you needed people to more or less, you know, behave themselves. Otherwise, it got a little bit out of hand and you got unrest. So that was the, all these were good. And re- religion, you know, is a perfect example. It's a mechanism for controlling the masses. Um, and it's understandable why that was put in place all those years ago, because it was the only we didn't have the, the Internet. The Internet is today's way of controlling the masses and the people that the powers that be, the leaders that have learned how to use social media. We all know who they are or who he is. Um, <laughs> Have, have you know have learned to bypass um, traditional mechanisms of communication and go straight to the to the people they want to hit because it's right on the phone mm. and um, that's a modern that's very much a modern phenomenon but 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 it's it's a way of telling and now it's a way of directly telling people what they want them to hear and that's and if you just accept what you what your leader tells you on a phone and don't bother trying to go and find out anything else or check the information then that will be your knowledge of the world and it will be ignorant. Mm. And so the, the, all the information is available if you go and look for it. And again, it won't come to you. You have to stand up and go and look for it or you have to delve around and not accept on face value what you're told by anybody, certainly not by your leaders. Go and check it. And when you do, you'll find out there are all sorts of different points of view and different sources of information. And some are are slightly inaccurate some are accurate some are debatable and some are just plain lies um and fighting through that treacle of morass of information is difficult and that's why people don't bother doing it they just go for the lowest common denominator and the thing that they think viscerally is probably right um and that's that's your emotional mind getting ahead of your intellectual mind so it's such an important yeah this this active questioning of of what we're told is to seek education and knowledge and insight is i'm going to argue and say something really bold but it's one of the the greatest abilities that we have in our time to do that because we have all the information we could ever want at the touch of a button on our phone it's just and it's yeah. in our pocket. We could answer, we could ask Ecosia anything. I don't say I Google it anymore. I say I Ecosia it because I want to plant Good trees. For you. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. try, trying to get that into my my local thing. But yeah, hundred percent agree. <laughs> are you going to Ecosia all these things and figure out? Yeah, just the the power of questioning and the power of being like, I'm I'm not going to to take to take what is being told to me at face value. I'm going to, I'm going to be active about, about what I think and what's going on in my mind. And if I may just address the, when people, the going back to the drops in the ocean in China, I think there's, it's my aunt said it to me one time. She was like, well, why should it matter that I don't use plastic bags when there's China doing this and doing that? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's this tipping scale. And I, I think also when, when you realize that a lot of what we buy, a lot of our consumption is outsourced to china mm-hmm. it's that hopefully then we'll be able to to broaden people's perspective of actually like well if i don't put my business in what if i don't pay for things and, and buy things from china then that's reducing china's consumption or china's consumption of fossil fuels and emissions and so many i, I realized it like must have been i must have been a teenager but everything was made in China and I cottoned onto it. Like, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. I was just like, why is nothing, why are we getting all these things from China? And like, yeah. they don't seem to be very high quality. I was like, what's going on here? And it's, yeah, it's, it's not just China. And it, it, our actions matter so much. It doesn't, 
you can't compare our individual actions with a country's actions it doesn't that's not the same it, I want to say it's not it's a moot point to try and compare the two because although they're very interlinked in the sense that our individual behaviors contribute to China's emissions you can't compare not no, doing anything. It, it's it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a balance sheet of good and yeah. bad or us and them or yeah. they do all these bad things because we're all complicit in that that's a, that that whole thing about that you rightly mentioned about made in China and cheap mm -hmm. price cheap products that weren't very good quality we were complicit in that we were quite happy to buy those things yeah. because they were cheap and and so if we weren't buying them China wouldn't be making them exactly. so we were all part of that process and again it goes back to what I say about you know if we then you know draw in the you know bring in the the drawbridge and say well we're gonna either we're gonna make your we're gonna uh, arbitrarily make your products more expensive if you sell them in our country which is which is the the um the trading um tariffs mm -hmm. um and and that's a that, that's that's just shooting yourself in the foot because it hurts your population and it obviously they're going to do the same to you so that your exports and imports all become more expensive it's just daft or you can just stop buying stuff from that country um, but then you've, because you've been complicit in the whole situation, you've built quite a big infrastructure in your country around buying the products from that country at a certain price that allows your society and your economy to function at the level that it's reached. And if you take away that, if you like a crutch, you could call it a crutch, you, you, you know, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot as well. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to in my opinion, anyway, it goes back to this point about the solution. And again, it's not going to happen in a day or a week, or maybe even not in a generation. But the solution is to engage properly with that country, not isolate yourself from it and tell them, look, we want to engage with you. We want you to be a full and fully fledged member of the global community because, you, my God, you're important with the number of people you've got. And we know you're going to be a big economy. But these things aren't acceptable that mm. you do. The, the, this side of your equation that you do, these are human rights and and uh and environmental abuses and burning of coal they're not acceptable and they're not necessary you mm. don't need to do these things get out of your old-fashioned you know dictatorial mentality you i'm sure you can have an if you want if you insist on having an autocratic um you know uh, society because you think it's the only way to control 1.4 billion people well all right india have got a democracy and all right they're a bit more chaotic but they've got just as many people and they're a democracy so there are two systems in very close proximity to each other that show a sharp contrast of how things might be done. The point is we need to engage with both yes. and, and try and understand where they're coming from, understand their culture, understand why they behave in a certain way and help them understand why we behave in a certain way. And at some point we'll meet in the middle and it won't happen in, it won't happen in a decade. It's going to mm -hmm. take time, but if we're not relentless, um, then uh, we won't get there. So there we are no it's such important points and it's yeah it's yeah just hugely important points what has been the most important lesson on your journey dave um i think the thing that i i've learned most through bitter experience in my life i mean really by by uh, avoiding things when i in my younger days is confront issues don't avoid issues and tackle them now and not tomorrow mm that's that's a massive thing and i could give you i could recount dozens of, of examples in my life i won't but i could of, of uh, where i've learned that the hard way by trying to do it the other way by trying to avoid issues by trying to pretend they weren't real and eventually you have to go back and 
tackle that issue because the issues don't go away. They just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And often on a practical level, more and more expensive. It, you know, if you, something's wrong with your house, if you've got a leak in your ceiling and you think, oh, it's not too bad, I'll leave that. You know, it ain't gonna get it ain't gonna get less good, uh, less bad. It's 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 gonna get worse. You know, it's just a very simple example. So you could tackle it today and spend fifty quid replacing a few tiles on your roof, or you could leave it and let it get worse and worse and worse over time, and then spend thousands of pounds replacing your whole roof. It's a very simple analogy, but it's a massive thing I've learned. Confront the issues. Don't avoid issues. Confront them. James Baldwin was a was a civil rights activist in the sixties in America. I think he died in the late eighties. But he, he wasn't a Martin Luther King-like civil activist. He was, a, he was a writer and a poet, really, and a philosopher, I guess you'd say. But he was a black guy living in, in American society who'd suffered all the in, inequities that, that his brethren had suffered over the years. And he said not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And that's about, that's, that's about facing issues, confront an issue. Otherwise, and it's, everything I've been saying about China and the climate change, if you sit down and do nothing because you think it's hopeless, then you are absolutely guaranteeing that it will be. Yes, that is. And then the second one, if I can you know, indulge me, and that, in fact, there's three actually. I'll, t- I'll tell you, th- I'll tell you three very quickly. The second it. one is, don't let success or for fa- don't let success or failure drive you. Mm. Don't let either of them be the drivers of what you do. Roger, again, and I know I keep trotting out these things I've learned in life, but Roger Kipling wrote a poem. Again, it's a famous poem. It's called If. And everyone knows the first line, if you can keep your head while all those around you are losing theirs on blaming on them, blaming it on you. We've all heard that line. There's a lot of lines in that poem and all of them are really, really powerful. But there's one in the middle that's, and, and by the way, he wrote it in 1909 or something. And I think he wrote it for his son as a, as a synopsis of, these is, this is what I've learned in life, son. This is a list effect. He made it a poem, but this is a list of everything I've learned in life. And I'm giving it to you, my son, to help you be a man and don't worry about the gender it was but it just happened to be a son but could just as easily have been his daughter um and in the middle of the poem it says if you can if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same mm. and if you think about those words it is it, saying don't get don't get over exuberant if you have a success well done but don't dwell on it don't think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread because sure as eggs is eggs another day it's going to go to pot and you're going to have a bad day and you're going to feel like you've had a failure and if you allow yourself to go too far up and too far down you're always going to be zigzagging up and down above the above the the line of stability the horizontal line of stability in your life so number two for me don't let success or failure drive you and the last one is i suppose before you judge anybody in your when you meet people in your day-to-day interactions, before you judge them and shout at them in a, in road rage or tell them they're a Muppet or (laughs) ironically, but um, some people are, but most, most, most times when you meet people in day-to-day interactions, before you do that, just give yourself a millisecond to stop and consider if you flipped the situation. So you were them and they were you, how would you feel about them saying to you what you're about to say to them? And also consider whether, if they have said something arsey to you or, or abusive, well, it could be that they just had a, you know, their dad could have just died or their daughter could have just been taken into hospital or whatever. You don't know what's going on in their life. And that's empathy. Mm-hmm. And that's an important, again, it's not a thing that the human being is particularly good. We're not, in, we're not very well built for that, but it's in there. We've got the propensity for empathy. 
but we have to learn how to how to do it some people can do it naturally some people are much more empathetic and have much more um emotional intelligence than others they just naturally have that and that's great but most of us have to learn it and i've had to learn it over life certainly so those are the three things amazing lessons it's making that those muscles stronger i think it's yeah it was a i learned I got terribly frustrated one day because um, I asked a lady on the bus if I could sit next to her and she um, was a teenager again and it riled me up so much because she just ignored me and I had to stand. Yeah. I didn't want to sit next to her because she was I felt I felt bad in case she was saving the seat for someone or and I got off and I went to go see my mum she was um, this is when she was manager of a, of a charity shop and I was like mum this lady was really rude she'd ignored me and I was like really Aww. polite and she was like she said to me she was like you don't know what was going on in that in that lady's mind she could have just lost her husband like and i was just like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah like yeah. i transcended out of my my selfish teenage like yeah. oh everything's about me body and i just looked at myself and i thought oh yeah like other people <laughs> it was yeah. a really it's, it's an epiphany it really was it really was i think those lessons are just I'm gonna have to. I'm probably gonna go through and write those down and hang them up somewhere because there's there are things that I try to implement in in my daily life and it's, it's so easy to forget but just so so important. Yeah. Just, yeah, indeed. It's beautiful, beautiful life I used to to follow. If we could just we touched on them briefly, but if we could just end, I always like to just yeah have a sort of a little a little think. What worries you the most? Where do you think we need to focus more attention? And what gives you hope? um okay well i mean we've touched on a lot of this but mm -hmm. ig ignorance worries me the most so we've, we've touched on that the, and it's and it's essentially the ignorance enforced on people by governments um who restrict access to information um ignorance by ignorant by individuals um who prefer i suppose to ignore reality than than accept what's happening that's the that's the confronting the issues but it's born out of ignorance mm -hmm. um the and the solution to that is you know accurate and truthful information and going and finding that information um, I suppose my, uh, my greatest sadness I've already talked about as well is, is, um, that we've left it so late, especially specifically on climate change to start fixing what is a entirely self-inflicted problem that we now know that millions and millions of people in the vulnerable parts of the world are going to die prematurely, um, as a result of things like floods and famine and, and disease and, and conflict and migration away to other areas. Um, and again, we've touched on it, but what, what gives me hope uh, uh, over all of that is this thing about the human spirit, the human ingenuity, the human uh, ability to survive as, as a species. I'm not talking about individually because I, I don't belittle the, the pain and the suffering and the, you know, the, the grief that goes through you know, um, people's minds when they watch their loved ones die. My mum died seven years ago and I, I know what that felt like. So. I'm not belittling it at all, but as a species, which, you know, there are times when you need to look a bit more holistically at, 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 you know, what can we do as a collective? Then I get hope. I think we have unbelievable ingenuity and spirit as a human species. Um, we are the smartest species that's ever lived on the planet. And we have been in, we've never been in quite a scrape like this. So we're, we're, we're testing the boundaries of what we're capable of. There's no question about that. Um, but in adversity comes great innovation. And, and we've, we have proved that historically. Um, and we are at our best when we are, are our most innovative, um, 
and creative when we are collaborative, when we work collectively. So, and, and I'm seeing that happen more and more um, as a reaction to a lot of it is a reaction to autocratic regimes that are, that are sprouting up all around the world. That's, that's engendering a collective activism, which I'm very, very encouraged by. It's just a beautiful way to end. I think it's, yeah, it's people power and freedom through education is, oh, it's just, yeah, it's such a, again, I'm all goosebumping. I feel like there's so much amazing, there is amazing potential in the world and it's through channels like just have a think which i would encourage anybody to go and have a look at and definitely subscribe to because it's just it's yeah it's light-hearted it's fun and it's entertaining you you put this beautiful (laughs) this yeah this 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 comical spin on finding out about how to overcome the climate crisis and i think it's something that it's an asset to society i would definitely say very kind no, I think you're, yeah, it's just been amazing to chat to you, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. And anybody, oh, thank you. And anyone who'd like to, to keep on, yeah, keep up with um, the Namine Solar Solutions for Climate Revolution work, you can, yeah, hit subscribe and, um, yeah, follow us at Namine Solar on Instagram to keep up with our work. It's just been an absolute honor and catchy dave thank you so much and super look forward to chatting to you again soon and thanks so much for for all your work you too thanks jesse good to speak to you